0: Well, good morning, I'm Pastor Tom Hyde. I'm one of the retired pastors associated with Trinity here and uh, Pastor Jeff, of course, you know, I had a place, took a, a month of uh, medical leave and I think he's doing well and uh, they're expecting him in the office tomorrow, so uh, it's, it's good. Uh, you know, I, I discovered the difference between doing this for fun and becoming work is like three weeks, so. Uh, now I remember why I retired and it's all good, so. I will enjoy listening to Jeff next week. So, uh, this may not be news to you, but sometimes we argue in the church. You know, and if, uh, you know, I I could, I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but, you know, I I do remember the great uh, closet kerfuffle of 2014. You know, uh, between uh, the two, two groups in the church that, you know, there are savers who think that we're going to keep this stuff because we may need it someday. And there are the throwers who are sure we're never going to need it again and want to get rid of it. And, and those two groups of people, you know, uh, perhaps some of you, you know, one of each party is kind of married. You're married. You know, that sometimes happens. You know, that, that causes a great amount of uh, distress among the church, particularly when the savers are wrong. And we do need that one thing that they threw away. Now, I will honestly tell you that like most arguments that don't seem to make a lot of sense, this is rooted in, in some kind of disagreement that went back, I think at least two generations between these groups of people in the church. So it was a, a, not a new conflict. Well, the church in Corinth, you know, was one of those early house churches Uh, following Jesus. Corinth is is a Greek city and uh, there was a church there. Now they didn't read their Bible because the Bible didn't exist when they were a church. They were pre-Bible and uh, if you study the history of the Bible you know of course we have the Old Testament uh, or you know, a, a, a Jews call the Bible, with uh, the the prophets and and the law and the prophets and and the writings. That Jesus had, that all of them had. But the rest of it, you know, began with letters, and then later, after the earliest letters, then the gospel writings began to appear: uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So. This church, you know, was, was living in, in a pre-biblical time in terms of the book, and uh, they had some arguments. Some of them had, had they had spiritual gifts, and, and some of them, particularly the ones who like to speak in strange languages in tongues that no one understood, you know, thought they were a little better than everybody else. Well. Of course, you know when someone thinks they're a little better than everybody else, it creates a problem. So Paul wrote a letter to them about, and part of the letter continued this writing about spiritual gifts. What are the gifts does God's Spirit give to us? You know, and I have always loved this because you know, first of all. Back in those days, and I was trying to figure out what in the world I was going to do. I, you know, I would had a call to ministry, but I it kind of went on the back burner while I became mature and old enough to to accept it. You know, that uh, and and so there's this time. You know, it, it's kind of like that moment, that kind of torturous moment when we call up our high school seniors and say, "Now, what are you going to do? You're going to go to college? You're going to go go learn a trade? Are you are you?" Uh, you know and what's your major going to be and if they were like me when I graduated from high school I said, well, I don't know uh, you know and, and it, took some, it took some trial and error for me to find that you know uh, I, I discovered quite early in my college career that it wasn't going to be physics you know uh, and, and it's good to have those doors closed behind you that because I would have been, been a terrible physicist so uh, it's good to let God know me and, and Dr. Rambo was my, I remember this, uh, college professor who uh, was so intelligent he couldn't understand why everybody else just did this stuff just didn't make sense to them. And anyway, it made sense to him. Anyway, so as, as his church comes, you know, Paul is addressing this deeply conflicted church. And so he writes uh, these words in, in, in his first letter to the church at Corinth, which we call 1 Corinthians. And... Uh, he uses the image of a body. This is where the sense of the church is the body of Christ comes from, it comes from this verse of Scripture. Says, though just as the body is one and has many members, for all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For we, the one Spirit, which we're all baptized into one body Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we're all made to drink of the one Spirit. All those people, all those disparate groups we're all one and we have different gifts now I remember something that may have come from Sesame Street I don't know I, I tried to find this clip and, and my YouTube foo is not quite good enough for me to to find it but but uh, there's this king of this little kingdom and, and and he's living his kingly life and and one day he hurts his finger and the royal doctor comes up and makes his finger better and he's so happy at this he makes a proclamation that everyone should become doctors now this works real well till he gets up in the morning and wants his royal breakfast and the royal cook is no longer a royal cook but now is a royal doctor and he has no breakfast and he wants to go out and get his royal mail but the royal mail carrier is now a doctor so there's no one bringing his mail and his whole day goes on like this he wants Everything he he wants, he can't have because everybody's a doctor. Well, he has to make another proclamation that everybody go back to their original important jobs. You know, and and I'm quite aware of this in the life of the church. You know, an important, huge part of my ministry in small town Nebraska is is, is funerals. You know, and uh, many of our churches are older, and so therefore they have more funerals. And, you know, there is, particularly in small town Nebraska, something the funeral directors know is that the Methodists will have a funeral for anybody. Some churches are pretty picky about who, who, whom they will bury. Uh, you know, we, we, we will reach out and we would serve the community. And, and that was important to me because in the time of need, that is when we reached out to people who really needed us. And we were there. Now I'd plan carefully plan a wonderful funeral service, and and that was great. But I was always aware that the most healing time of the service came in in, in kind of traditional form that we used to do. Is that we we do the service, we'd go to the cemetery, we'd come back and eat potato salad. You know, that was the healing moment when people started to turn the corner from that sense of grief, you know, if you walk into a house where there's been a death, there's a feeling about it. When we turn the corner and start to say, okay, now we're going to live again. We're going to sit with our friends and we're going to break bread together. And the next chapter of our life, we're going to turn a page and the next chapter of our life is going to go on. Doesn't negate what's gone before, but now we're facing in a different direction and life is going to go on. So for me, though I had skills of leading worship and doing funerals, those people who had those kitchen skills, and, and every, every Methodist you know has a wonderful kitchen, you know, because we have wonderful cooks. And, and so that was, was where that important ministry would begin. It was just as important as what I did, and to acknowledge that and thank you for all the folks who who brought the tuna casserole to the church it's important so this is what Paul had to say about the gifts of the church for indeed the body does not consist of one member but of many if the foot were to say because I'm not a hand I don't belong to the body That wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. And the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That wouldn't make it a less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, I'm going to stop a moment. I want you to have a a mental image of a big eye perhaps with hands and feet, and that being the whole body? Who says Paul doesn't have a sense of humor? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If we're all a single member, where will the body be? That's the body of Christ. And that was an important thing for me in my, my developmental times, you know, and I used, to, I used to direct camps, particularly in those early days. This was always a very important and we'd, we'd range fun activities about the body of Christ and how important each part of the body is. Because I think that's an important lesson for children to learn that their skills, their part of the body is important. You know, my my, my hobby, my avocation right now is singing in in a barbershop chorus, you know. And it's very interesting because when all things work well, you know, the only thing we ask when someone comes to see us is, is what part do you sing? And not that it's important to have uh, a specific part being more important, but we need all of the parts. We need those leads to to sing the melody so we know what the song is. We need the basses. My, my part to give that foundation and give to the chords. We need the, the tenors up on, on the top to, to give that wonderful little of harmony. And we need the baritones. We're not really quite sure why, but, but we, we do need them because they fill out the chords. That's a barbershop joke anyway. We, the, but but they, they, they sing the part, they have the hardest part. They, they sing whatever note's missing in the chord. And when all four parts are there and properly balanced, the chords ring, which means that we hear not just the notes that we're singing, but overtones as well. And, and when that happens, that sends chills down your back because it's really an amazing thing to hear the, these notes that no one is singing. When when uh, or barbershop icons, you know, you said you know, that's the angel singing. That's the right note. That's the right note when you tune it properly. That's the body of Christ. And we're reminded by Paul, again, his words, as it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't have no need of you. nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body, we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable, bodies don't, more respectable members don't need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving greater honor to the inferior member. there may be no dissension within the body. But the members have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. For if one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Have you ever had experience of being a little teeny tiny rock in your shoe? Are you having a good life right now? A little teeny tiny rock in your shoe that digs in in every step. Well that's what Paul is saying, that we all are together in the body of Christ. We rejoice together, we come and have weddings, we come and celebrate our seniors, our comprimands, our folks coming back from uh, mission trips. We, we, We love to celebrate but we also gather together to say goodbye in this world to those whom we love. And that's an important part of who we are as the body of Christ. Now having said that all of the gifts, the spiritual gifts are equal and very important. Paul then says but there's one that's most important he does say there is one gift that is essential that is most important and so then that comes into the next chapter which we often read at weddings and uh, I'm going to use a traditional translation because I've read this so many times it just so kind of burned into my synapses But if I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but do not have love, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Whatever languages I speak, whatever whatever important things I say, but if I don't have the gift of love, I'm just a big noise. And if I have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith as so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all my possessions, I hand away my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude does not insist on its own way is not irritable keeps no record of wrongs does not rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices in the truth it bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things Uh, after I graduated from Nebraska-Westland, I got a job working as, as a house parent at Nebraska Children's Home in Omaha. And this was a 24-hour-a-day job with one day off a week. Dealing with, it was, it, was, it was an emergency shelter, so you didn't develop long-term relationships with the young people there. They were always coming in the midst of a crisis. And so they were upset in the midst of a crisis. It was a very difficult job. And I will tell you that uh, I don't do well without time off. And I remember going to a church in Omaha. It was Benson Presbyterian. We were in that part of town. And I remember the scripture lesson of that day. Love is patient rang through my brain as the message I needed to hear that day. So this has been an important scripture for me, not just at weddings where we always read it, but to realize that the love here is not just the love that we celebrate of a man and woman at a wedding, but it is the love that's deeper than that. Not as the Greek would call the eros type of love or or the philia, the brotherly love, but the agape. The sacrificial love that gives of ourselves to the other. And that's what this is talking about. So, of all those gifts that we have and, and, and that we bring together that are essential in the life of the church, it doesn't make any sense without love. Love never ends. For prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, we prophesy only in part. The complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When When as a child I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, and when I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways for now we see a reflection as in a mirror then we will see face to face now I know only in part even as I have been fully known and now faith, faith hope and love abide these three and the greatest of these is love so we're called first of all to find our own gifts you know, and, and, and that may the gifts of prophecy and preaching, the ones that seem to be important. But you know, my, my personal testimony this week, that, that when you need a plumber, you need a plumber. Badly. We need all the gifts that are before us in the life of the church. And the gift of faith sustains us. Hope leads us onward and love is the greatest gift of all. Let's pray together. God of grace and love we thank you for this time together. I thank you for the opportunity I've had to share this congregation this past few weeks and we pray continued blessings as we journey the road of faith and hope and love together. Thank you for these gifts and especially the gift of love, which is given to us so deeply and carefully in the life of Jesus Christ, and that we share the gift that only expands by giving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.